Welcome to the Ridge Cast, a tool created to have conversations about topics we can't always cover on a Sunday. Our desire is for you to become equipped to follow Jesus and be mobilized to pursue His kingdom. We hope today's dialogue takes you one step further in your discipleship journey. Now here is this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to part two of our conversation on the end times. This conversation was so rich and full that we artificially split it into two parts to make it a little bit more digestible. So make sure you go back and stream part one of our conversation before this one and hop over to the Ridge Sunday audio to stream Mark's sermon on the day of the Lord. Now on to today's episode. All right, let's keep moving. All right. Yeah, we've we're covering some ground, man. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're on shout out now. to everyone who's still we're listening. Still yeah. hanging on, hanging in there. Um, so I'm still interested. So let's talk about um, the thousand years. Yeah. Um, because we kind of gestured at the beginning to the the terms pre-mill, post-mill, and a-mill. So when we say mill, we're saying short for millennium. Millennium, right. Thousand millennium years. is a period of a thousand years. Right. Um, and that's a big that's a big topic of discussion when it comes to this. So right. um, we've we've been kind of latching more closely onto the the futurist, preterist, and historicist. Um, but those are all these these other views are also important, right? Yeah, yeah. So so the thousand year uh, uh, reign of Jesus is what we're talking about, and it's a thousand year reign in the in the in the post millennial perspective. It's it's uh, the thousand year reign of Jesus on the earth, a thousand year reign of peace in Revelation twenty. So if you go to Revelation twenty, it talks about an angel coming from heaven, holding his hands the keys of the bottomless great uh, chain, and, and Satan's thrown in, you know, bound, and um, and then. Jesus reigns with the uh, saints for a thousand years on the earth. So in the in the postmillennial perspective, preterist postmillennial, they would see this as something that took place that in the past and is continuing to this day. Now throughout history, different postmillennials have seen it differently, um, uh, and th- and this this actually does feel for, from the postmillennial perspective like kind of a loose point. Early postmillennials uh, did think it was a literal thousand years, but then. A thousand years passed, and they had to revise their view. <laughs> so, um, the, the post millennial today, most of them would say it's it's probably it's not a it's not a literal thousand years. It's it's meant to to symbolize a really long period of time. So, like when when the psalmist says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, it doesn't mean that once you count up a thousand hills of cattle, then the rest are up for grabs. Everybody else gets them. It's they're all gods. He's is what he's saying. Um, so, there's a number of places in the, in the in the Bible to, to, to the Lord, a thousand years is like a day and vice versa. So the thousand years is meant to ex, uh, ex mean a long period of time. And Jesus is reigning through the church. And during this thousand year period, I know we're going to get to this later, but uh, Satan is bound and, and the, the gospel goes out and it's not a, uh, a thousand years of peace. Like you may imagine when, if someone says, man, there's just going to be peace you kind of imagine everybody's getting along, nothing bad ever happens. The idea in the post-millennial perspective is that nothing as bad as things got could ever happen as bad again. And and over time, the gospel will spread more and more and influence the world in such a way that things get better and better, not just from um, uh, Christianity spreading and, and more people knowing the Lord, which it has spread um, all over the world. But also, they would say that because of the the peace that comes from the gospel, 
the peace between God and man that then turns into peace between human beings, uh, people will be safe enough to, and, and this is, this is definitely not in the, in the scripture, but this is sort of post-millennial thinking that civilizations end up progressing and, and becoming more advanced because of the peace. When, when you're, when you have times of peace, you have times to figure out how to make couches more comfortable. Right. It's a op, very optimistic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. And so ultimately the, the, the post-millennial thinks that, that, that the trajectory of the future, the thousand year reign is just going to continue on and it may be for another 4,000, 5,000 years. And so, you know, we, we, the post-millennial perspective is, is like, you know, let's get to work. Let's continue to make things better. Let's spread the gospel. Um, and, and, and we believe that Jesus is reigning here on earth now through his church. Mm, I really do like comfortable couches, Mark. You know, I mean, that just, that just got me. You just pulled me right over on that one. Comfortable couches <laughs> and indoor plumbing. I mean, those things will just change get, your life. They get any better than that. Yeah. I think this just real quick, this could be helpful. If, if you've never read revelation before, or if you've never cracked it open, I know it is. I'm, yeah. I'm right there with you. I can remember the first time I cracked open Revelation when I was in elementary school and I was like bored at church because, uh, you know, I was just a kid and it was like when it was like a family service, you know, and then we had the, the Bibles in the back. I said, I'm going to give this a try. Got so scared. Never yeah. went back until I met <laughs> Mark. I'm just kidding. Um, but just so you know, like when you open Revelation, you got chapters one through three and those are letters to seven churches. So John's saying these are, these are the original audience I'm writing to, these seven churches right. in Asia Minor, um, which is just a, a regional geographical area of Asia. Chapter four and five, um, you get this picture of inside the heavenly throne room. John gets on to go on this, like this VR tour of seeing what it's like right. to see where God is in his space. Uh, and he sees some wild, cool stuff. And then six to 20 is really, I think, what, makes revelation famous because that's where all the crazy chaotic judgment judgment wars famine there's all these monsters yeah yeah crazy creatures that are in there um it can you know talks about violence all this stuff at all the other time that's really what revelation is known for but it's at the end of 20 chapter 20 right where right the first time you see thousand year reign pop up right uh, thousand thousand year reign is is halfway through chapter twenty. It's yeah. Uh, yeah, chapter twenty verse verse six. Right. I just feel like that's important to point out because if anyone walks away from this and they're like, "Where, where in the Bible actually is this?" That's where it is, yeah, and that's positionally where it occurs. Revelation twenty, and and just one more thing on the post millennial perspective. Not all post millennials do this, but many post millennials will say. Revelation 26 is the last verse that took place that, that is like referring to past. And then uh, verse seven on is talking about our future. So, right. so many, many post-millennials will put a dividing line right there. Not yeah. all actually. And I would say that's where the three of our views, although they're gross oversimplifications would, right. would agree right. that 21 and 22 about the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, all those things, those are future. Sure events and it's the six through 20 chapter six through 20 where we're like you know i don't you know that's <laughs> not so, so sure about this yeah, man right and and you know the 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 pre-millennial the futurists of course would look at those verses as things yet to come uh we're talking about the thousand year reign and um uh, uh pre-millennial uh would would kind of look at that as the uh, as mark said the the reign of jesus okay now in this view, it, it comes after something, and I think we're probably going to talk about this, David, that comes after the, the tribulation. Not, not in all views, but in, in 
generally speaking, uh, the thousand year the thousand year reign happens after the the tribulation period, and um, unlike the uh, the post millennial view, pre the pre millennial view would take this as a literal thousand year reign. Okay, and um, during the millennium uh, millennium, Jesus is is. He's reigning as king. He's, he's king over all the nations of the world. Uh, this is often tied back to, and you can look at this on your own time, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, Isaiah 42, verse 1. Uh, you can just kind of read through that. Um, and, and, it, and it is a literal time where the world is um, at peace, uh, where nation, there's no nation rising up against other nation. There's no people rising up against other people. A- again, uh, some of this context comes from uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 32. Um, all, it's also believed uh, or held by this view during this time that Satan will be bound. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Again, out of the book of Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, Satan will be bound uh, during the thousand-year reign. Not destroyed, um, he'll, but he'll be bound and, and unable to uh, wreak havoc <laughs> uh, on, on the world. And um, uh, and then there's just going to be this time where all nations are going to come before God and worship God again from Isaiah chapter 2. Now, at the end, just a side note, at the end of this thousand-year reign, um, this view holds that Satan will be released one one last time, and there'll be kind of a rising up, a, a rebellion, but but he's going to be quickly, once and for all, defeated. And this time he won't be bound. He will be destroyed forever. And and then following that, um, kind of getting into the, the latter part of Revelation, uh, God will bring about the new heaven, the new earth, basically uh, creation restored. Right. Yeah. So, man, this is the part of the podcast where I'm just like, I just... I. Personally, David just doesn't have a mega strong stance on, and the right. reason for that is is because it takes up so little space. Sure, in the in the actual letter, it's yeah. just it's one mention, um, and you know it's it's funny. I heard one commentator when I was when I was going through this stuff. He he said it's uh it's, this is the only place in the whole Bible it's mentioned. It's mentioned in like one verse. <laughs> yeah, and 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 how funny is it that it's the thousand years of peace that Christians like to fight about, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think from a historicist view, it's, it's, um, not a literal number, but the way I think about it is, um, there's a period in the story of scripture where in the old Testament, the Israelites were captured, um, by the Babylonians because they disobeyed God. God let these Babylonians take over their country and take them into exile. They got taken away from their homeland. Um, and then eventually they get to come out of exile, but not everybody goes back home uh not every uh person who's taken into the exile or their families go back um so they go back and they rebuild uh jerusalem and the temple that had been destroyed but it's not the same way that it was before so in some ways the prophets in the old testament are like the exile ended but like not really because we're not really in charge of ourselves anymore and even when jesus um, comes onto the scene and his disciples, they're still not in charge because the Romans are governing their actual land through a client king. Um, and so it feels like they never left the exile. Mm. But the New Testament shows us ways that we can we can demonstrate the reign of Christ because Christ um, was enthroned and became king, in my view, on the cross. Um, his enthronement looked way different than any other king's enthronement. Um, but by him... Um, being raised up uh, on the cross. That was like him ascending uh, his throne, and then ultimately he ascends uh, into heaven. So we have access to reign now 
um, through these little tiny pockets of culture and the church that live counter to this anti-God culture. Um, so at, at different points in history and different places in the world, I think there are people who are participating uh, in the, in this reign, but also holding onto that tension that there are other places in the world where that rain isn't happening and there's a lot of destruction and death and things like that. Um, right. All the things that you would see from the the different visions that John has to show my cards a little. So again, I know that's probably not very uh, tied up and neat uh, on a bow like you guys, but um, this, this, is, this was the point where I was just like, man, I just, <clears throat> I don't have the most refined sure. view because and honestly, I think it's not it's not the the main crux of what the letter is trying to get across to us. Sure, and I can see that. And honestly, some of the stuff you're saying is not too different from the post millennial perspective. Um, and and honest and and to your uh, the the pre millennial perspective, the uh, the the releasing of of Satan that's that's in the post millennial perspective as well. That that there will be a release. So and it, so there is a lot of overlap actually because right. we're dealing with the same ideas but we're having to figure out where we think they and, land. And to your point, David, you know, I mean, honestly, it, it, the more I, I dive into this, the more I study it, sometimes I, I, I wonder, uh, it's like the less I have a hold on, it's like the more sure. slippery this becomes, honestly. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of, I think that's the way that I feel too. You know, we talked about these are our different views, but it's just like, you know, Mark, you talked about the scales. It's like, I, I just kind of feel like this one might be like 1% or 2%. Right. This no, is, I don't even say better. It's I'm one or two percent more comfortable. Right. <laughs> with right. you know what I mean. So yeah, I that. again, that's why it's we talked about. I think all of us are kind of holding this open handed because again, at the end of the day, like it is a theory. Right. You know, on how all this is going to work out, but we agree on the objective basis that we started at the beginning, which are the most important. Right. So, uh, man, you want to keep going, Mark? Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, we can try to try to knock some more out. The next thing, uh, we, we got a few topics to, to, to hit the rapture and tribulation. So in the post-millennial perspective, uh, the rapture is very different from, from maybe what m- most people who are exposed to the pre-millennial perspective would, would, would think. So the, the rapture is not us being uh, removed or taken out of, of the world. The, in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul talks about um, the Lord coming on the clouds and us being caught up in the air with him. So most plen- post-millennials, um, actually N.T. Wright is, is one that, he, he says that what Paul is saying is something like uh, the, the subjects of a king going to greet him as, as, he, as he makes his uh, entrance. And, and so this is Jesus' final coming. The, anything that looks like uh, the rapture communication in, in Scripture, the post-millennial would say this is, the final coming of Jesus and anything that looks like us being, you know, drawn up into the clouds or uh, in the sky with him. It's, it's like trying to describe to someone who's blind, what the color red looks like or the color or any color looks like. So, I mean, you might just, you might describe well, reds, you know, it's kind of like a, like a hard color. And then, you know, yellow is like a sharp color and blues, a softer color. And, and, and obviously there's, there are, uh, weaknesses in describing things that way because someone who doesn't have the context might think that everything pointy is yellow, but it's not. So uh, that's just an illustration to say that that when when we talk about meeting Jesus in the clouds, it's 
it's not meant to be taken from a post-millennial preterist perspective as something literal, but more, um, it's, it's something symbolic that we can't really imagine. But when Jesus comes, we're going to, we're going to meet him. We're going to, to usher him, him in like a royal, uh, entry into his kingdom. So that, that's the idea of the, the rapture. As far as the tribulation goes, the tribulation is not something connected to the rapture. The tribulation that we read about, uh, like the, the, the seven judgments in the book of Revelation, that's something that the, the preterists would say, those are the judgments on Israel and in, the round, in, in around the time of 70 AD. It, and for those of you that don't know, 70 AD was, a, was this climactic moment in Jewish history where the temple was destroyed, changed Judaism forever. They no longer can do temple sacrifices or temple worship the way they used to. Uh, they've gone, they go from um, biblical Judaism to rabbinic Judaism where they go off the teachers of, of, uh, of, of the religion. But that changed Judaism, and not only did it change Judaism the way they practice it, but it also made Christians distinct from the Jews. They were no longer seen as a cult of the Jews. They were actually seen as something separate because when, when the Jewish-Roman war culminated and met its head, they destroyed the temple, the Christians fled, and it just showed the world these Christians are not, they're not part of the Jews. They don't really care about the temple. So it served to to make Christians distinct from the Jews. It also served as judgment on Israel. So all the tribulation you read about in Revelation, the preterist post-millennial would see this is judgment on Israel for rejecting their Messiah, for their disobedience. Um, there's actually a, a place in, in, in Leviticus, uh, I think it's Leviticus 26, where where it talks about you know God's telling them that if they disobey, he will punish them sevenfold for their sins. He says it, I think, four times. And so the seven, the sevenfold judgment in the book of Revelation, the post-millennial thinks, is that's for Israel, specifically for Israel. Now Christians get caught in the crossfire, and that's why John's writing this to the Christians. That's the idea. And he's warning them, and, he, and he's trying to give them uh, keys to, to be able to recognize what's going to happen because the post-millennial thinks Jesus warned us about these things in Matthew 24 and said, hey, when you see this stuff, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is in the post-millennial uh, Nero, where he ought not be, when you see these things taking place, these terrible things coming upon uh, Jerusalem, you guys should get out of town. You guys should flee. So so the tribulation, just to summarize, is judgment on Israel around 70 AD for rejecting their Messiah. Christians are killed in it, but generally uh, speaking, it's for uh, the Jews. And so, Mark, I'm going to take those two things in, in kind of reverse order. I'm going, to, I'm going to begin with the tribulation and then work into the rapture. And so, Really, in the futurist view or the premillennial view, it helps to understand or to read and try to understand Daniel uh, chapter 9, uh, 24 through, through 27. It's an important passage, and I won't get into it here, but basically from that passage, it's generally understood that the tribulation is a future seven-year period of time. And as I mentioned earlier, this is, a, this is the time in, in the end times timeline that the Antichrist, the Antichrist, you know, rises up. Um, and really the tribulation, just just a general statement here from a futurist perspective, will be kind of the the finalization of God's judgment. Some some in this view believe that Israel is included in that, a final judgment of Israel before uh, being fully restored, and, and I'll talk more about that later. But also God, the finalization of God's judgment on on this unbelieving 
world. This kind of sets a series uh, of events in in motion. Okay, so that's the that's the tribulation. This seven year period, uh, most often in the futurist view, characterizes three and a half years of peace when the Antichrist would will rise and uh, he'll bring unity. And it seems like he is uh, bringing peace to the world. Uh, and then the latter three and a half years of uh, great persecution, uh, war, and um, uh, no peace whatsoever. And so the rapture comes into play here in, in the tribulation. <laughs> I mentioned earlier, there's views within views right. within views, right? And yeah. so I don't want to go, I don't want to get way off base here, but when does the rapture happen in terms of the tribulation? Well, there's basically generally three stances. There's pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, meaning that different camps within this one view would say, well, the rapture is going to happen before the, pre- the, the tribulation, that the, the church is going to be removed before the Antichrist rises, and um, the church will not have to experience any of uh, those things that are part of the tribulation. Some camps believe that it's going to be midway, that three-and-a-half-year point, church is going to be removed. And then some believe, no, the church will not be removed from the suffering. They'll too have to endure the suffering of the tribulation and the Antichrist and all the things that comes along with that. But at the end, there'll be the rapture. Okay. And so again, the rapture, as Mark said, is kind of this, this snatching away, removing the church, true believers from the world. Okay. And all those three views are kind of captured or encapsulated uh, in, in premillennialism or, or the futurist view. Um, uh, again, the, just, just for clarity, the, the rapture of the church includes all true believers, uh, and they'll be, you know, the belief is they'll be taken from the earth um, in order to be made more righteous, and from that point, events will be set in place that kind of lead to the final judgment that's going to be poured out upon the earth, not only during the tribulation period, but also in things uh, known as the the great white judgment and that sort of thing. And so in the futurist view, basically, um, the belief is that the church will be removed from the world. Uh, it's going to be a um, uh, an event where um, we'll be taken up and then a series of events uh, through the tribulation, the Antichrist, um, will, will begin to unfold at that point. Yeah, no, that was good. I think it's uh, what you're what you're saying is, you know, there's going to be this a- event called the the tribulation, which again I think is we're talking about those kind of chaotic or scary things that you read about in Revelation, and then right. at some point in this view, there is a removal of the church from basically taking them out of the suffering. It's just a matter of exactly when is that mm-hmm. removal going to occur. Exactly. So again, talking a lot about theories, right. a lot about conjecture. Uh, and things like that. Um, so uh, for me, um, so we'll just start with the tribulation. So again, in Revelation 6 through 20, that's where, again, all the scary stuff is. And there's basically three sets of seven events uh, right. that are talked about uh, in there. So again, you see that three and seven number uh, pop up. Um, so I think some people would say that it's 21 separate events, you know, three times seven, 21 separate events. Um, or these are three different chains of events that are going to happen. Um, the way I see it is these are three different perspectives on the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're looking through the things that are happening, there's a lot of imagery in Revelation, which is why I think it's so cool. What I've come to understand about it is I think John is using imagery and references from the Old Testament 
to comment about things um, that are going on at the present time. So he's using common like Roman political propaganda and imagery, and he's kind of combating that with Old Testament uh, imagery. I heard someone say once that Revelation is the most Old Testament book in the New Testament in the way that it makes references. So for me, when I'm, you know, we're looking through these things and we're seeing references to, um, you know, plagues, wars, famine, destruction, those kind of things, it looks almost just like a tragically normal day in human history because it seems no matter where you turn your history book, somewhere in the world, something horrendously awful uh, is happening and going on. So the tribulation is one of these things where it's like, I think for the original audience, just like we were kind of talking about a second ago, first century Rome was a tough place to be a believer, very hard place to be a believer. But things continued to be different, hard for different pockets of believers uh, throughout throughout time. So I think that, again, this is a warning to believers that, hey, stuff, bad stuff is, is going to happen. And you're going to be tempted to capitulate or to accommodate to anti-God leaders so that the suffering will be turned down. But don't do that because we will continue to overcome, to use words from the Revelation, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The way that we live counter to um, these cultures or these leaders or these influences that are trying to get us to live not the way that God has called us to uh, is actually the way uh, that we overcome um, through that. So uh, when it comes to the rapture, again, uh, I'm kind of in the, you know, I'm still working this out. Um, you know, I, I think I was originally introduced to the the futurist view uh, and held on to that. Um, and as we've talked about it and as I've studied it more um, through seminary and then after seminary and stuff, I, I'm still, here. here's my rub with it, is the word rapture actually isn't in, in the Bible. I think it comes from the Latin word, which means vacuum. Um, so, and the idea again comes from 1 Thessalonians 4, where it says that we'll be caught up or snatched up is another way uh, into the air. And I guess it just depends on what you mean by that, because some people will say it, it, us ascending is the same way you might say um, Queen Elizabeth ascended the throne. Like she didn't actually right. fly up on a chair. She ascended to a place of authority. So they would say, well, that's about believers ascending into co-reigning um, with the Lord uh, in the end. And, you know, all these other people who think they're rulers, like the Neros, like the tyrants, like mm-hmm. all these people who think they're really in charge are going to get, as Mark so beautifully said, get their lights knocked out <laughs> by, <laughs> by uh, uh, the Lord. Um, but then I, I can also see it, you know, this this event happening uh, near whenever we're finally getting to the things in Revelation 21 right. 22, when the new Jerusalem is coming down when the new creation and the new heavens and the new earth and all of the evil and stuff is finally being cast and put away. Uh, and we'll go to um, the no more tears place, I think yeah. is the way Lewis talks about it, right. um, which I think is, again, so beautiful mm-hmm. and uh, makes my heart sing. Same. So next well, we got, we got, yeah, we got some, we still got some time left. Okay. The next one, the, the docket we got is the binding of Satan, which you, you referenced this channel and, and so did I a little bit. You, you kind of, it's hard to pull some of these things apart because they are so interwoven and we're really, you know, we're touching on highlights, not touching on nearly what we could, but the binding of Satan in the post-millennial perspective is the idea that, uh, Satan was bound 
during during Jesus's life and ministry ultimately culminated in the death of Jesus on the cross. But it was a progressive thing that began. Uh, actually, there's a place in Matthew where Jesus um, talks about how he he casts out uh, demons, and then uh, this is this is a way of him. To the postmodal perspective is saying that as he's casting out demons, this is him uh, working against Satan's authority and what Satan is is how Satan's ruling, and then then he goes in to talk about how if you want to if you want to take the things out of the strong man's house, you got to come in, you got to tie up the strong man before you can plunder his goods. And so the postmillennial perspective is that the strong man is Satan, and the goods are the people. And so Jesus comes to bind the strong man so he can get his people. And so that's that's the idea. And during the thousand year reign, uh, that uh, Satan is bound not in his ability to do anything, but actually just in his ability to to deceive the nations. So it actually says in in Revelation when it talks about the binding of Satan that he is bound and he's no longer able to deceive the nations. Like you said, Shannon, the pre millennial view, it's not the destroying of Satan; it's restricting his ability and so the post-millennial would say he's currently restricted in his ability not to do anything at all he still has he still is active someone someone critiquing the post-millennial view said it's like he's got a really long leash (laughs) so but that's that's i think that's a that's a fine way to say it um he's able to do things but he's not able to do what he was able to do and we don't have the ability to to live in another time period in the past when he was able to do these things so the post-millennial would would say we're we're not able to really know what that would look like Satan being you know on you know just released to do whatever he wants but they would say that the fact that Christianity started so small and has just spread all all over the world impacted I mean in America we people who reject God today have no idea how influenced by Christian values they are they're they're just it's it's woven into the way that we see the world because it's so impacted the world so so the binding of Satan is uh has resulted in that type of thing taking place mm-hmm. yeah and so you know as you said there's we can find similarities we can find common ground in all of these views honestly uh just to reiterate uh from the futurist view um again always looking toward the future in many of these things that we read in revelation and uh, other writings uh, but again the, the thousand year reign in the futurist view is is again something yet to to come uh, following the, the the time of tribulation that we talked about just a moment ago, yes, Satan is is bound. Um, I thought you did a great job, Mark, just kind of describing that. What, is, what does that exactly mean? Uh, does it limit all of his power or just some of his power? Um, uh, sounds like it, it could be either or, you know, but he's going to be bound. But, you know, at the end of the day, we just don't know what that's going to look like, right? Um, but it's going to be he will be bound. And as a result of that, the, the futurists would say or would think that, that there's going to be peace on earth. We're going to see a greater peace uh, between the nations and between peoples than, than, than perhaps we've ever, ever seen in history. And we're going to enjoy that during that thousand year uh, reign that, that Christ is, is on the throne and reigning over uh, heaven and earth. So that's all. I'll just kind of leave that right there. Yeah. Remind me again, this is coming near the end of chapter 22 isn't it yes 20 to right. 20 as well Cha- 20. Yeah, chapter 20. 20 as well yeah 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 so mm-hmm. yeah in, in chapter 20 uh verse 2 it says he sees the dragon the ancient serpent who is the devil and satan and bound him for a thousand years they threw him into the pit shut him sealed it over it so he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended yeah so um so again i'd love 
uh, the imagery there. So I think the word dragon in Greek can it can also mean like rep- reptilian, and I think that's the reason why it turns into to dragon because we're trying right. to capture in English some kind of big reptile. Right. <laughs> so I wonder if any translations just put big lizard. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not, um, but they should. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's a it, it's a reference to being the same enemy we've been fighting since the right. Garden of Eden was was the snake and i think it is making a statement um sometimes you'll hear theologians or philosophers use the term cosmic uh when they're talking about stuff and when they say cosmic they're just talking about this this bigger ultimate reality so i think the struggle um throughout the the library of scripture is the real enemy is satan who is represented by us a snake in the garden of Eden, a a reptile uh like creature and he's really the one who's been behind all of these bad dudes or all this anti-God stuff the whole way Mm -hmm. Um, behind Gog behind um, is it it's Balak right in numbers is the king or whatever who's on top of the thing it's it's Balak Balak and Balaam famous story in there and then all throughout you know all of the 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 evil leaders um, even some of Israel's own leaders um, become those things during the the kingdom period uh, and stuff so I think when um, you, you get to the New Testament, there's this really interesting conversation in John that Jesus has with Pilate when he is uh, undergoing trial. And he looks at Pilate and he says, the authority that you have comes from someone who is greater than mm-hmm. you. And I think Jesus is both re- referencing to the fact that Pilate's authority ultimately comes from Caesar, and Caesar is drawing his authority saying that he's God. Um, but what I think Jesus is even deeper gesturing to by saying that is you're just under the influence of the snake it's the same one uh Mm -hmm. who's been there Mm -hmm. so in the end of revelation chapter 20 it's saying that man jesus is ultimately once and for all uh defeating defeating the snake he he dealt the decisive blow uh to the snake um whenever he allowed evil to do its worst on him by Mm -hmm. allowing it to crucify him so we're living right now uh, in this period where we have the ability to con- to to defeat Satan's influence in our life, we don't ha- we don't have to to capitulate to that. You know, in Romans it says we're more than conquerors uh, in Him. We have the option by living the way that Jesus said, living His truth, and then living His truth the way that He would um, to overcome those things. So I think it's pointing to uh, an ultimate reality. So <laughs> I, I don't want to get too far down in the weeds, but. Um, Again, kind of almost like a betweener. If you, if you haven't noticed, if you haven't noticed a pattern, I'll say something. Channel say something a little different, and David will say a little bit of both. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how we're doing it. Yeah. So the then the next thing we got, we're right on the corner, boys. Yep, we're yep. we're this coming. Is it. This is a quick hit on this one. Quick hit. And we then got, we're gonna wrap up one more point. Uh, the hundred forty four thousand is something that people often bring up, and I think it's probably because if you've heard, if you've talked to a Jehovah's Witness, that is that's one of their things. There's going to be 144,000 people who are saved, I think is their position. I don't want to misrepresent them. Maybe I'm wrong, but real common question yeah. that, that we get around here, which right. is why we chose actually to put this in the podcast for our people. Right. And it's from revelation chapter seven, where it goes through the different tribes of Israel. And it says 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from Reuben were sealed. And it goes through the different tribes. Some people like to make a big deal out of the fact that not every tribe is mentioned. Um, but in the post-millennial perspective, there are some, there's some variants, but, but, but generally they would say that they would either say that it's, those are the faithful, um, Israelites 
at the time back you know back when Jerusalem was sacked by Rome they would say that that that's representing because of the the military illusions and the way that they organize the numbers it's uh it's the um it's, it's essentially it's the people from Israel who were uh faithful to God and who who didn't betray and and capitulate to Rome but there are there's another group that would say that because John looks at the 44,000 and then he sees a number that can't be enumerated that it's actually just representing all the Christians. Uh, so there is, there's quite a bit of um, variance in the post perspective on that one. It's, it's, it's symbolic, but essentially they mean that this is, this is a group that was saved though. They were not only saved from um, the, the tribulation, they, they didn't die in the tribulation, but they also are um, Christians. Hmm. Kind of the same, same thing, Mark with, with pre-millennial, uh, premillennial um, thought here is that there's 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 different views within this uh, one camp about what the one hundred forty four thousand mean. Generally, uh, again, you think from the futurist view, kind of a more more of a literal interpretation um, where it, it literally speaks of one hundred forty four people. Revelation chapter seven, uh, and and again, as you were stating. Uh, typically thought of to, to be made up of the twelve thousand uh, from each from twelve thousand from each tribe of Israel, and you can you can tell I'm kind of stumbling around. This is this is one of the things, David, that I, I kind of uh, I'm with you on some of the things you mentioned. I, I'm not I'm not sure about this one. This is one that I've I've read a little bit about, studied a little bit about, and and know even less about. So sure. so yeah. I, I'm I'm you know I'm just kind of. Um, in the process of kind of figuring this out myself, but from from this particular view, the 144,000 would be Jews, um, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel, um, given special protection from God during uh, the tribulation period, during the the rise of the Antichrist. Um, premillennium, pre premillennium um, is kind of could be divided into two camps in this in this regard dispensationalism which is another great word to bring out at a christmas party yeah. oh yeah <laughs> um, uh, if you really want to bring down the mood <laughs> really has a focus on the nation of israel and would say that the 144,000 um represent jews who have um they've repented they, they're turned back to god you can re- you can kind of reference some old testament scripture from zechariah chapter 12 also romans chapter 11 the new testament uh, is where some of this information is pulled from, uh, and so so essentially, the hundred forty four thousand will be Jews who are kind of like a, a first fruits of redeemed Israel, and that's kind of the dispensationalist view. And the mission is to kind of evangelize the post rapture world and proclaim the gospel during this tribulation period. Remember, they're going to be protected from the antichrist, and as a result of the ministry. We in Revelation chapter nine it says a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, and tongue will stand before the Lord and worship Him. And and and, and what that means is that they come to faith in Christ. And so, David Mark, that's really kind of my my best interpretation. I'm I'm pretty sure I, I blew that. And so no, you, I actually thought that was great. You may even want to kind of cut that from no, that. no that was <laughs> that, that was, was that yeah. was way better than what I I could have said because like I said when I was. Uh, Younger and, and kind of in the beginning of of college, I always understood that to be this is the number of of people who were previously um, Jewish who would say Jesus wasn't the Messiah. But then these are the people who, through the events that are going on in the world, are like, "Whoa, we were wrong," um, and it shows 
God's uh, commitment, I guess, to to his covenant people there. Um, but that was great. Uh, for for me, 144,000 um, is a, a reference to the great censuses that are in Numbers. So Numbers is a book we all skip over uh, because right. we think it's boring. Um, but there's all these censuses. They're a military census in, in Numbers. So the idea is they're, they're gearing up to go to this battle. And the way I read Revelation is there's a difference. There's what John hears, and then there's what John sees that happens over and over uh, in the book. He hears something, but then he turns and sees something different. So that is a literary tool to say what he heard would be like what the basic assumption would be. Um, and then what he sees is actually what happened. So he hears that there's going there's these tribes that are gathering for, for battle and they're, they're numbering and it's supposed to light up the reader's mind and make them think back to numbers. Oh, this is like when they had the grid, the big military census before they went in to conquer the promised land. But then when he turns and sees is not a, a military, but it is a big multi-ethnic, uh, multinational, um, group, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and they are being led uh, by the lamb that was slain. So the idea is instead of that being this big uh, military, it is, it's Jesus's vision for the church it is marching through not to fight a battle, but to overcome uh, the world with, right. with love. So I don't think, you know, I was listening pretty closely to what you guys said. I don't think anyone said that only 144,000 people no. are going to be in eternity. No, no. So no. none of, I don't think any of us think that. And I think that there's I think that's a minority view. Yeah, and a dangerous one. Yeah, You're right. Um, all right, so just let's just let's wrap up right here. We've we've soldiered through. I want to give everyone <laughs> a Take big a shout out oh, yeah, who has guys. made it this far. <laughs> to hang in there, we are so proud of you. Yeah, um, there will be a Mark, test. <laughs> Mark just goes, yeah. <laughs> Even Mark's tired. Well, Mark's falling out here. Sometimes long conversations do hurt my head. <laughs> Especially but, this one, right? Oh, yeah. Man. We should have warned everyone maybe to take a Tylenol before this. <laughs> yeah, put like a like a warning at the front, something. Oh, man. Surgeon well, I think, General's warning. Yeah, I think just, let's just, uh, just moving towards wrapping up here. Um, let's just talk about really quick, uh, what, what do we think the purpose uh, of Revelation is? And we've kind of talked about that all, um, all the way through this right. episode. But if you just want to wrap up, uh, and just a, a summary statement. Yeah. So, so for me, and I'm, I'm going to also include some of the weaknesses. So like, uh, for me, the purpose of revelation in the post-millennial perspective is the thing that makes it the one that feels the most persuasive to me right now. Um, the, any, any of the post-millennial guys that you read, they're, they're going to really make a big deal out of the opening of revelation where, where it says in verse one, um, that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave uh, him to show his servant the things that must soon take place. And and then in verse three, it says, blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in, in this revelation for the time is near. So those those two statements, that's not all only at the beginning, but also in Revelation 22 at the end, uh, it says soon must take place and for the time is near again. Uh, there And there are other allusions throughout the book of Revelation that the post-millennial would say this, this is a reason to think that it was going to happen in John's time. But, but that's, that's like the purpose of revelation is that John was writing to some people about some things that were going to take place very soon for them. And, um, generally like, you know, David, you've been talking a lot about how it's like, yeah, this stuff happens, but also did happen before them and it happens in the future. And it's going to continue to happen. The post millennial would really narrow that down and say, no, no, this is a, like when, when we read about the prophecies in the old Testament, 
of the Messiah coming. Those are things that were meant to say, hey guys, something is going to happen. It's going to take place in this point in history. You're going to be able to recognize it and it's going to change things. So really this this is like John in the, in the, the, the tradition of the prophets of the Old Testament writing the concluding chapter on God relating to the world through Israel. He's saying, He's saying, listen, all of you who are are on the side of the Messiah who has come, there's some things that are going to take place, and this is how God is going to close the Israel chapter and 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 usher in the church, Jew and Gentile, no distinction between them. And he says it's going to be pretty messy, it's going to be pretty, pretty terrible, and you need to 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 be able to discern the things that are going to happen. And so he's he's warning them. And sort of the purpose statement from the postmillennial perspective is in verse seven of chapter one. It says, Behold, he's coming on the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. So that that does seem like a really big, like all, whole earth postmillennial throughout the entire book of Revelation is seeing earth as land and people as tribes. So, and that may feel like a stretch to some people, but they have, they have their reasons. They, they go into the, the Greek and all that, but, but they would see so often when earth is talked about in revelation, that's the land and tribes are, or people are the tribes of Israel. So it's, it's really narrowly focusing this global stuff into, into Israel. And so the whole point of revelation is, is, Hey, faithful Christians, faithful Jewish people who are following the Messiah, watch out. The Israel's chapter is coming to a close. Terrible things are coming, but there is hope. Don't lose hope. Don't 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 um, walk away from the faith. Endure through the suffering because what will come about is these wonderful things: new heavens, new earth. There's going to be uh, there's going to be a a peaceful reign of of Jesus on the earth that you guys are ushering in. The blood of the martyrs is something that will lay the seeds for uh, peace to come. So that's that's the purpose of Revelation in the post-millennial perspective, really narrowly focused in a specific point in time. And that's the thing that, to me, makes it feel uh, weighty. I, I don't know how to explain some of those temporal, like, hey, this is coming now kind of thing, and, and the way that the post-millennial recognizes, well, this thing really fits this one particular moment extremely specifically. So that's purpose and also what's persuasive about it to me. And, and just real quick to hit on a couple weaknesses. I, I mentioned one, uh, but probably one of the biggest weaknesses for, for the post-millennial perspective, in my opinion, is in the book of, or I'm sorry, in, the, in chapter 20 of Revelation, it talks about two resurrections, a resurrection of those that reign with Jesus for a thousand years. And then at the end of a thousand years, another resurrection. Post-millennials believe that, the first resurrection before the thousand year reign is a spiritual resurrection. All those who are who are new creations, you're 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 raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. That's a spiritual resurrection. And they're not completely off base in being able to do that, but it's it is tough when you see two resurrections mentioned back to back and you want to take one spiritually and one literally. That's that feels like a weak point to me. Um, but all that being said, uh, that is the that is the scales are tipped in that direction for me, and that's kind of how I see it. Uh, I, I, Mark, I completely agree, and I think we all do on the purpose of Revelation. And and for me, it's just kind of real simple and real concise, uh, and it all begins with I. And you know, for, Revelation was written to uh, in inform. Mm-hmm. I, I think to uh, to inform of, of things that are going to happen soon. Uh, it, it instructs and in what to do and. How to think about these things? There's some some passages, or there's some real specific instruction about how to how to um, act upon these things when they happen, 
And then to, and you hit up on a, an important point, is to inspire, to inspire hope. Don't, these things aren't written to motivate fear uh, or worry or anxiety, but there is hope in, 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 in understanding, um, you know, however you understand it, whatever camp you find yourself in, uh, the, the, the end in this is hope in a reigning Savior, one who uh, laid down his life but didn't stay dead. He, he rose and he overcame, and he's going to continue to overcome uh, as, we, you know, as, as, we look, as we've looked at today through mm. uh, many of these events. And so this is a hopeful thing. Uh, it's, it's an encouraging, an inspirational thing. Um, like, like all views, there, there are some weaknesses. One of the primary um, weakness, in my opinion, for a pre-millennial kind of view is uh, struggles to explain um, some timestamp passages. Okay, specifically, um, if you look at Matthew chapter twenty-four, part of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus makes this statement: "Truly, I say to you." He's talking about he's talking about destruction that's coming. He's talking about what we would um, usually characterize, at least in the pre-millennial camp, as end times kind of language. So he's describing the destruction of the temple and uh, the persecution that's coming. And I think you even made a reference to, hey, when these things happen, it's going to be best just to run run for right. the hills, right? right? And in that same discourse, he makes this statement, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. And there's plenty of explanations what he meant for that in, in premillennial futurist kind of um, understanding. Um, but, but it's language like that that would cause me to stumble in this, this view. What, what does he mean by this generation will not pass away? Um, and so right. there, there's, there are definitely, like all views, there are some very there's good strengths, but then there's some obvious weaknesses as well. And so that kind of brings me to my, my final point before I pass it over to you, David, is I, I believe if, if God had, had really wanted us to know a step-by-step kind of understanding of the end times, we would have been given that, right? Sure. I mean, just like we're not sitting here debating on how we get to heaven mm-hmm. because the Bible is very clear. Right. Jesus is the way. Or the whether or not you way. should murder somebody. <laughs> right. I mean, there are some things that are just spelled out right. black and white. But then there are some things like perhaps eschatology uh, that is that is not always spelled out. And I, and I don't believe that's by an accident. I think that's on purpose. Right. Um, and I think, I think there's a reason for that. We, we could probably talk about that and discuss what that reason is. But uh, I think that, uh, that's why it's so important that we major on the majors. Mm-hmm. We understand what's most important and we discuss and we grow in an edifying way. Some of these things that maybe are not so clear. Right. And, uh, so with that, David, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, and I hope what you guys are listening here at at home are are picking up on is is this is something that we've we've talked a lot about and that we've studied and we've thought and it's you know again it's it's that that open handedness um, that's in there and it's like Chan said it's it's agreeing on the objective or majoring on the majors and then you know there's there's room uh, to think and to ruminate I think on the minors right uh, in there absolutely um, so just real quick for me. Uh, purpose of of revelation again just like you guys said i don't think it's something that should scare us i don't think it is something that's meant to inspire fear or or run for the hills um i think it was a letter uh that john wrote um with the inspiration of the holy spirit to uh encourage believers then and to encourage uh believers now and i think it is a, it's a warning against man this is what happens 
um, whenever we try to accommodate uh, any any force, any person, any culture um, that is that is anti God, and I think that's why he blends together so much Old Testament imagery to show like, look, this is the way that we've we've messed up before, and look, we've continued to mess up. We can't just think it's going to work out in the future. So be on the right. lookout. Um, for these things that are in, in front of us. And he does it in a lot of different ways. Because um, like I said, I think this is, man, the Bible is the most amazing, beautiful, epic story ever. It deserves a a finale that is worthy. Right. And this is truly a finale that is right. that is worthy. So it is kind of the deep end of the pool, um, so to say. So I think that's why John, you know, I, I was reading one scholar says there's as many as, there could be as many as a thousand or as little as 250 references to the old Testament, depending right. on what you say counts. Well, even at 250, it's only 22 chapters long. Yeah. Right. It's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of references to the old Testament. So I think what revelation is showing is look, it's the same God from Genesis. It's the same God who Jesus was. And this is how he's ultimately going to deal um, with these things. And, um, this is how he's going to deal with evil and suffering in the world. I think the thing that's so uh, disheartening about it is a lot of times, you know, you do so much work <laughs> bulldozing through the first 20 chapters. And I think the best part of the story is Revelation 21 and 22 yeah. about where we're all going. Sure, that's yeah. the most right. hopeful and the most inspiring that's it. Um, piece of it. So yeah, in my view, um, it is, it is probably the most, it is the most symbolic uh in the way in this but he's using these symbols again to to warn us um just to think back if you were you know a believer in the first century um don't don't give in to nero yeah don't give in to who i think is coagula that came after him and we're supposed to think man who who or what are those forces today Mm. that are anti-god and just like the the Israelites shouldn't have given in to Gog or given to Pharaoh or given to Nebuchadnezzar when they were in the exile, what are those forces that I need to to resist to resist that civil religion or to resist um, the allure of economic prosperity? Um, how how can I do that? So that's what I see the purpose of Revelation as. And the weaknesses in mine is you know frankly, it can feel like a little bit Bible Cody. Mm. You know, it's yeah. like well that kind of sounds like this, and you know yeah. Zechariah wrote some stuff like this and, and, and maybe that can kind of fit, but it's not a one-to-one uh, thing in there. Um, but I hold on to that because I believe the Bible is deeply intertextual and it references back to itself over and over and over. Right. So t- that is something that I'm bringing in to reading the last book uh, of the Bible, which is something the way I look at the other 65. So I think that is, and then two, Mark, just like you said, it's like, it kind of sounds like you're not really taking a position. (laughs) And I didn't mean to say that, Um, but I kind of (laughs) did. But it, it, but in my view, it's like, you know, it's something that happened in the past. It's something that can happen now and it's something that can happen. Mm -hmm. And there's tons of, tons of people through history have have held all of these views, you know, just Mm -hmm. to reiterate, these are all within the realm of orthodoxy. You know, there's, um, uh, there's definitely some ones that are not. That's true. Yeah. So guys, when you're out there, not every source and everything is made equal. That's right. There's definitely, there's right. some stuff that's good. There's some stuff that's great. And there's some stuff that's really bad. Yeah. Well, uh, I heard, I think I heard someone once say, uh, friends don't let friends read a revelation by themselves. <laughs> yeah. That's you should, you should read advice. any part of the Bible by yourself. That's great advice. <laughs> um, any guys, we got just closing comments here on, this is going to be our, our record episode. Longest one we've ever done. That's right. I need a nap. 
This is a feature length film. Yeah, something something I was just I, you know c- concluding thought was uh, Chan, like you said, man, our our uh, our well being, our 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 salvation does not depend on our understanding being perfect. You know, it, it depends on our trust in Jesus and our reliance upon Him, and and He can work things out. You know, like Paul said, man, if if I know everything and I have not love, then I have nothing. He says, you know, one of my favorite verses, actually, because I get so caught up in knowledge sometimes, is is in 1 Corinthians 8. Anyone who thinks, who supposes he knows something does not know as he ought, actually. Um, but anyone who's known by God is loved by God. So that, that to me, is, is a really powerful sort of contrast between the, the pursuit of, of understanding that doesn't prioritize how the understanding should, should make me more loving, so, so if, if any way this pursuit of understanding where we're trying to figure out things, if it's, if it's making us less loving, mm-hmm. then we're pursuing it in the wrong way, not in the spirit of Jesus. And I think that we need to, to take a step back and recognize that, that the, this, this, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, that Jesus is the Lord of love. Um, and, 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 and when we get so attached to the way we think about things, it makes it harder to even listen to another view. So I think I, I recommend a more open-handed approach on these things. And, and, and again, man, we all think the story ends the same, that Jesus wins, that we win with him and that things are going to be awesome. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that it's uh, perfectly said, Mark. And um, I, I think if you're having these discussions and it's, it's creating uh, strife, it's describing it's creating division, um, even even words, you know, strong words toward others. You're probably probably don't have the right mindset, heart set on right, this. Right. You know, I understand debate and those things can be very helpful. But uh, what I love about this particular podcast is just the um, just the the opportunity to sit with guys that I love. I know your hearts. You love the Lord. You love the Word, mm-hmm. and you have studied it and, and you've shown it. That it's not just head knowledge, it's heart knowledge, but we can have the conversation today. And I feel, uh, even though we're in different places and different camps, I still feel united with you. I, I have a deep love for you guys. And man, I just think that's the power of yeah. the Holy Spirit working among brothers. Amen. And even even when we see things just slightly different. So, right. Awesome. Man, well, I want to close this out by saying, Lord Jesus, come. Marathona. Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> Um, guys, thanks for listening to this. Uh, I know it was a long one. Maybe you got to listen to it in a couple different sittings. But if you made it all the way here, gold star for you. We're all so proud of you. <laughs> hey, uh, let us know what you thought. Shoot us an email, info at theridge.cc. Until then, we will see you guys next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ridgecast. If this episode was helpful, please feel free to share it with a friend. For more information about The Ridge, visit us at theridge.cc or follow us on social media at The Ridge CC. See you next time.